Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. Often, enterprises and small companies have to change direction to survive, but how do they do so, and how do they do it without upsetting their stakeholders? The concept of pivoting was analysed in a research paper written by Dr Christian Hampel, Professor Paul Tracy and Professor Klaus Weber. Now, as well as co-authoring that particular paper and many others, Paul Tracy is a busy man. He's the Professor of Innovation and Organisation at Cambridge Judge Business School and he is also the co-director of the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. So, to pivot or not to pivot? Well, it's actually a very simple idea. It's a particular type of strategic change. It's usually a radical, thought about as a radical strategic change of direction that happens to a new venture in its early stages when its original strategy is shown not to work. And it's part of a broader movement within entrepreneurship known as the Lean Startup, which was based on a book by Eric Ries. And he kind of questioned the traditional way of thinking about entrepreneurship, which is this kind of really planned and rational process we put together a plan a business plan and we map out exactly what we're going to do over the next x number of years because of course there's so much uncertainty when you're creating a new venture and you you don't know always what's going to happen when you start to move from idea to product launch and into the market and so his idea was that you have to come up with a series of hypotheses that you then test in the marketplace and you adjust or pivot as you go along. It's really interesting that the notion of pivoting grew up in the world of entrepreneurship and people thought, well, it doesn't really apply to big corporates because big corporates can't pivot in the same way because they are much more bureaucratic and there's, they just have less flexibility to change direction. But now the language of pivoting has moved into the corporate world as well. Is there a snobbery, do you think, around pivoting? What, what do you mean in terms of it's the little people do, not the people? Yes. So I think that uh, if there was a snobbery or some kind of uh, stigma associated with uh, uh, this idea of pivoting as not being for proper companies, I think that's probably that's probably gone. I would suggest. Although to be fair, um, you know, usually you think you, you radically pivot normally when things are not going that well. So that is uh, that is certainly the case. So what was the fascination then with with pivoting that uh, made you research it? Um, well, I mean, part of it was, I think there was, there was two things. One is that it was becoming such a dominant part of um, the way that entrepreneurs were talking about what they did and positioning what they did. Uh, and it had become, uh, it kind of assumed it was a good thing. Of course, entrepreneurs should be pivoting. But there was no, no one was really talking about, well, when should they be pivoting? What are the consequences? What are the risks? It seemed to be this thing had emerged, this idea had emerged that a lot of entrepreneurs were talking about, a lot of entrepreneurs were practicing, but we didn't actually know very much about it. So that was one uh, aspect. Another was that we, you know, we had a case study, um, and the case that this paper was based on was was uh, the, the data was collected by Christian Hampel, who was a, a PhD student at Cambridge at the time, who's now assistant professor at Imperial College. And the case was of, um, you know, a venture that uh, pivoted. So we didn't necessarily go into this case thinking, oh, well, this is a, 
this is a really great opportunity to study pivoting. But as we got more into the data and the story of what happened, it became apparent that this was a radical pivot. And because of what happened in the case, there was an opportunity to say something quite interesting about pivoting. Who was the case study? So the case was of a, a venture called the Impossible Project. And it was founded in 2008 by an entrepreneur who bought the last Polaroid factory after it had gone bankrupt. And his vision was to try and revive analog instant photography. So as the, well, the older listeners will certainly remember, many of their parents or maybe even they themselves had a Polaroid uh, camera. The younger listeners may not even have seen a Polaroid camera, but basically it was the first type of instant photography. So you could, you could take a picture and rather than having to uh, send your film to a shop and wait for a couple of weeks for the photos to come back, the photo came out on uh, photographic paper almost as soon as you um, had taken the picture. And so at the time, it was a very radical technology. But of course, as iPhones and uh, digital cameras and all the rest of it uh, came into being, uh, people didn't see the need necessarily for analog instant photography because you know they could send the photos to, the, to their own printer and print them out if they, if they wanted to have real copies. And many people just were happy to look on their phones in any case. And so analog instant photography declined radically and almost became extinct. Polaroid, which was the, the main company that pioneered the technology and that were most closely associated with it, they became bankrupt. But what was interesting is that there was a whole movement of kind of of people who wanted to still participate in this technology this practice they found it really interesting they found it uh, they were unsatisfied i suppose with with the digital version of it they didn't like just taking pictures on their iphone there was something that they felt was magical about this process of taking a picture and having it appear before your eyes the fact that the quality was actually a bit rubbish they, you know, that they didn't mind. They were almost pleased with that. They, it, it sort of made the photos individual because no, no two photos were the same. And there was, so there's a kind of craft or creative, artistic element to to the these instant pictures. And the entrepreneur that founded this venture, he was uh, from Vienna, and Vienna is, it turns out, the center of this kind of analog revival. So what happened when it tried to pivot then? When it started off, it was really appealing to a small group of fans, people who were kind of obsessed with it, with, with the technology. And it developed a really close relationship with them, um, you know, and they developed a whole initiative around them. It was called the Pioneer Project, and they were the pioneers. And they would work closely with the company as they start, started to sort of develop the products and the, and the new film and so on. But it became fairly apparent to the founders that this group of amateur photographers, they just weren't big enough to make the company viable. The company was losing money. And so they decided they needed a new strategy. And that new strategy was to make analog instant photography relevant to a digital world and a whole potential new wave of young consumers who had never known what this technology was, never experienced it before, actually ex- expose it to them. And so they, they developed the company it sort of switched from, okay, we're going to save and revive analog instant photography in its original form to actually, we're going to make this technology relevant for this new digital age. So they did lots of uh, different things and to try and do that. But I suppose the main thing they're doing, the most, the most controversial thing they did was to produce this device called the Instant Lab, 
in the instant lab was a way of converting a photo that you would take on your camera to like a polaroid photo so you basically take a picture on your iphone and you'd stick your iphone on top of this device press button and then it would crunch away and now it would become your picture and to the sort of diehard enthusiasts that were all about preserving the past as it was, this was the most terrible thing that could possibly <laughs> happen. It was sacrilege. And they got really, really uh, upset. And so they turned against the venture. They stopped buying the, the film. Some of them drifted away. Some of them were protesting uh, really hard on social media. It turned into a very difficult situation. But, you know, these people were buying a significant proportion of the film that, so the company needed these people in order to survive, but at the same time, it still needed to transition to access this new market, this new group of young people. So then what happened? Did it survive? It, su- it survived, it did. So it had to enact a, a couple of different strategies, one of which was really to build empathy with this group of consumers that had turned against them. So they had to kind of reset the relationship. They had to reach out to them, rebuild an emotional bond and connection, And they did that really just by explaining or trying to explain through social media, through their YouTube channels, the predicament that they were in. And in fact, in a sense that they didn't have a lot of choice but to do this and that they too were passionate about the the technology. They too wanted to save the technology and this was the only way that it could be done. And the second thing that they did was to really valorize their commitment to the technology and, and the community of people that were involved in it to, so to really just to show their appreciation of how special this thing is and how special they are as users for for being part of this movement i really care about you we need you on side if this is going to work and we're going to move it forward should enterprises in particular allow the customer's feelings to govern their change of direction well i think it depends so new ventures are often very reliant on a small number of key stakeholders, such as, in this case, their key customers. And just because they don't want you to move in a particular direction doesn't mean to say you shouldn't do it. But I think that what it does mean is that you have to take into account how they're likely to react. So the situation was exacerbated for the Polaroid company because the stakeholders were identified really strongly about it. They really cared about the company, really cared about the technology. And so the change seemed almost like a betrayal to them. So what it showed was that companies need to explain, they need to communicate really clearly to their key stakeholders, their users, their customers, prior to the, to the pivot, what's going to happen. And I think Impossible realized, they were actually quite surprised that this user community reacted so strongly. I think that what they realized is that it was really important to communicate, to explain what's going on, why decisions are being made, And for those people who don't like what's going on, it's really, really important to try and rebuild the relationships to the extent you can. Of course, some people will never come around to what you're doing. They they won't accept it. But other people will actually realize that you're making these decisions for a particular reason. In this case, it was because they thought they had no choice but to save the company. And provided that they're reassured that you really care about them and, and the overall vision for the project and the technology, you can come through it. I mean, one of the reasons that we we thought the findings were quite interesting is because it shows that pivoting is not cost-free. So when people talk about pivoting, it's almost like, of course, if things aren't working out, then you must pivot. But what this study showed, I think, is that especially as, as you go further down the line, you start to build relationships with customers and other stakeholders, and they have expectations about what you're doing. If you pivot at that point, 
and those expectations are threatened or changed, then actually it can have real consequences and they can potentially make life very difficult for you. So pivoting should always be an automatic choice just because things are not going quite the way you expected. It's, they still have to be really thought through. The implications of what might happen have to be thought through rather than just, okay, well, it's not going to work and let's just pivot to this direction. I think that was a key finding, I suppose, that we need to think carefully not about an automatic response when things are not going so well, but actually it still has to be carefully planned and considered. And the more mature the ventures become, Impossible was founded in 2008. This pivot happened about 2013, so it was five years old at that time. So already the stakeholder relationships had been cemented. So the more that happens, the more it's really important that you explain to your stakeholders what's going on. That was Professor Paul Tracy, co-author of The Art of the Pivot, how new ventures manage identification relationships with stakeholders as they change direction. You can find out more about Paul and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.